Luke chapter 11, if you'll turn there with me this evening. Luke chapter 11, and we'll begin there in verse 1. In our continued study of prayer. Luke 11, verse 1, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, we see our Lord had a specific place of praying. That's why he instructed that we have a secret place. Any place can be a place of prayer, but we see that the, the Bible points out a certain place. When he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When you pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And he said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend, and shall go unto him at midnight, and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me, and I, am, I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut, my children are with me in bed, I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you, seek and ye shall find, knock and it shall be opened unto you, for every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. If, and he gives another illustration, our Lord always illustrates what he's teaching with very vivid pictures. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give a fish, for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? I want us to concentrate on that last verse of this portion of Scripture that teaches on prayer. What is he saying? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit... To them that ask him. We've seen how our Lord's disciples, after witnessing him talking with his father in a time of prayer, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gives them the outline of prayer, the categories of prayer, things that, that should be covered in prayer, not just something to vainly repeat, although you can certainly pray the Lord's prayer with meaning. It is not just something to, to repeat uh, rotely, but he's giving them all the aspects of true, heartfelt, uh, heaven-heard prayer. No doubt, though, when they asked him that, they were expecting him to give them a set of prayers as the rabbis gave their disciples. Just as a, a teacher will come in and give Xerox copies of a syllabus to their students, the rabbis would often copy out prayers and, and give them to their followers and say, pray this to memorize for every possible situation and occasion. There's a prayer for this, a prayer for that. And his response was 
a pattern of prayer, as we've mentioned, found in, in verses 2 through 4. An outline, if you will, that helps to categorize, help us, helps us to keep our minds focused uh, while we're praying because we're so want to, to wander and to do anything but pray. And so the, this outline that the Lord gives us helps us uh, to keep our minds on what the business at hand. You have not because you ask not. James tells us you ask and you ask amiss. You're off base in your asking because you ask amiss or evilly that you may consume it upon your lust. In other words, your desires are the foremost reason that you're asking instead of for the Lord's will or for his glory. And he goes on to say, you are spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. Uh, you know not that the friendship of the world is enmity or hatred with God. Whosoever will be a friend of the world shall be an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain the spirit that dwells in us? And that's important because we're, we're focusing on verse 13. How much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And here he tells, uh, James says, do you not know that the, that the spirit that dwells in us lusts or desires enviously to control us so our lord gives this pattern this outline to help us and guide us in our praying and how gracious of him to do that he gives them two examples he's also a good teacher isn't he he does doesn't just give facts he says now this is what this looks like this is how i want you to picture it and he gives two examples to illustrate fervent effectual prayer. James promises us that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much or gets much answered. We pray because God tells us to and we expect him to hear and answer his, his, the, the prayer request that we have. So our Lord shows us what effectual, fervent prayer looks like. In verses 5 through 10, he illustrates... Uh, what a man is that has a guest who's arrived and and uh, at midnight and, and who needs food to feed his guest at midnight. Now, none of us like to be uh, interrupted from our sleep. We don't like to be uh, interrupted in our sleep, do we? I mean, uh, it's just a jarring thing. It's a bothersome thing. And especially at midnight, you haven't been to sleep very long and all of a sudden someone is rapping at the door, pounding at the door. That does not send warm thoughts towards the, the person on the other side because it's usually not good. And my daddy used to say anything that happens after 10 o'clock usually isn't good. And so uh, that, that idea is that something is wrong, there's some emergency, there's something that I really don't want to be involved in is at my door. He shows us, though, what intercessory prayer looks like. It's urgent. For someone to be, intercede on behalf of someone else, there has to be a sense of urgency in the matter. Not just, I'll get around to this at some point when I feel like it, but someone pounding at your door at midnight is an urgent matter, an intercessory prayer. There must be this element of urgency about it for it to be effective. It, it may be inconvenient because have you noticed how emergencies don't just fall between 9 and 5 or when you're scheduled in your to-do list, let's have an emergency at 10. That would be a good time if I'm going to be interrupted to have an emergency. It's never convenient when someone has a major problem. Car wrecks and all kinds of things that we could put in the emergency category don't just 
happen conveniently. Our Lord said, a thief doesn't send a notice, I'm going to break into your house tonight, I just wanted you to be prepared and know, know about that. So, intercessory prayer is urgent, it is it's fervent, it may, be, it may be inconvenient. We We go to the one in intercessory prayer who can supply the need because if someone is pounding at the door at midnight, they don't have what they're asking you for. And they're convinced that you do and that you will help them in their situation. So we go, when we intercede, we go, we don't have what the person needs. We can't fix their situation. We don't have the resources to change this emergency situation. So we go urgently, and even though if it's inconvenient, if we've been interrupted from our daily round, we go to the one who can supply what that person needs. Intercessory prayer, in, in our intercessory prayer, we keep on asking until the answer comes. This person pounding at the door just kept on pounding until the person got up and went to see what was the matter. Importunity is a part of intercessory prayer. The tenacity, the relentlessness. And I remind myself when I'm praying for someone else, if I had this situation, if this was my on my doorstep, if this was my wife, my life, my children, my job, my whatever the, the circumstance is, would I want someone to be in earnest about it and feel my pain and uh, desire to have the circumstances uh, to the glory of God and for God to intervene? And so we should always strive to put ourselves in the place of the person that we're interceding for or it won't be effectual or fervent, will it? Samuel said, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Intercessory prayer asks, and then it seeks, and then it knocks, and it keeps on asking and seeking and knocking until it is given, until it is found, until it is opened. And so that's why he gives us that illustration. Then, if that were not enough, the Lord goes on to paint another portrait, a very vivid picture with loud colors of, that gives us an encouragement to pray because of our status as children. Now, children go to their parents because they have a relationship. Children don't go up and down the block asking for other parents to do what their parents are given to do. That's unnatural, isn't it? There may be a reticence to go to someone else, but a child goes to a father or mother because they know that their heart is turned toward them and that they want to supply their needs, if at all possible. And so he gives us this encouragement because of our status as born ones. Those who are born into God's family, we have access to our father that other people don't have. Don't you think that President Obama's children have a number they have his private, he probably has a phone just for those two girls to talk to him on. And I'm sure that, that they can get to him quicker than any other people on the face of the earth. Why? There's a unique relationship there. He's concerned about them, and they know that he is con- that they're, con- they're his, his daughters. And, and so that's the picture that our Lord gives us here in uh, intercessory prayer, we go as children to a father who's concerned. 
We're asking for what a father has promised or is duty bound to give. Bread is not an unnecessary request, is it? Or fish or an egg. Earthly fathers provide the best of their ability for their physical needs of their children. And he concludes this lesson on prayer with an interesting and puzzling incentive for us to pray. And that's the emphasis that I want us to lend ourselves to this evening. Verse 13. If ye then, being evil, are sinful, you're sinners by nature, flawed, you're limited in what you can give your children. You, you might not have a piece of bread to give them, figuratively speaking, or literally, but you would if you could. An illustration, a parable, only goes so far because our Father is not limited in what He can do for us. He is not uh, limited by the financial or the logistic limitations that you and I, we cannot be everywhere our children may need us to be. I was reading about a man who is a young uh, college student who was adrift and he was dying. He had no, uh, no one to help him. He had a cell phone. He called his father. He, this, he was off the coast of somewhere. He called his father way thousands of miles back to the United States. The father was able to call the Coast Guard or the people who do that kind of thing, the nearest their son, and, and they found him just in the nick of time and his life was spared. We call our, that father could not be there, but he did what he could. Our Heavenly Father is everywhere, knows everything, and we're his children and we can go to him at any time. If you then, being sinful, know how to get good gifts, give good gifts unto your children, how much more? Notice the much more. The comparison is way beyond. The nearest thing that we give to it is the heart and the desire of an earthly parent. But the response of the Heavenly Father is way much more than what the best parent on earth, the richest parent on earth, the most well-connected parent on earth. Our Heavenly Father's is so much beyond that. And yet, that's the picture He gives us. How much more shall your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Now, at first reading, this is a very interesting verse. And it's one of those verses, when you come across verses that are puzzling, are sound unique, you ought to do research. So we're going to do it together. How about that? How much more shall he give the, the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Now, what does that mean? Brother Lamb, that messes up my theology because you have taught us so fervently and often that every true believer, every regenerate person has the Holy Spirit already dwelling in them. In fact, the Bible says if you have not the Spirit of God in you, you're none of His. Are, are we to ask then, if, if that's true, and, and we could give many verses, what, know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have of God, you're not your own. He dwells in you, you're His. You're bought with a price. Are we then to ask the Holy Spirit, now that our Lord has risen and, and from the dead and ascended to the, to the right hand of the Father, are we to ask for Him? Has it the Holy Spirit already been given? Did He come not come on the day of Pentecost 
as the, the gift of the Father, and aren't all those who are saved indwelt by the Spirit of God? And the answer to all those questions is yes, yes, yes. If so, then, what does the Lord Jesus mean here? Some would, might would argue this is pre-Pentecost, so maybe it means something different in this context than it does to believers after that, that time when the Holy Spirit did make a marked change from the Old Testament believer of coming upon the believer for service and to the point of now indwelling them. So what does it mean here when Jesus encourages us by saying, he's given these encouragements to pray, these vivid illustrations, and then he adds as the final thing, how much more shall the Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Literally, he, he means to continue to ask. So we're to continue to ask for whatever the Lord is talking about there in verse 13. And I want you to note that because it is an ongoing asking that he's speaking of. It's in the continual sense in, in the Greek. The old expositor, Matthew Poole, and if you had to sell something to get his commentaries, I would tell you to do so. Very rarely do I recommend someone that highly to you, but uh, you will find Matthew Poole's commentaries, the print is so little, if you, if you have to get, uh, even if you don't wear bifocals, you'll have to, to read the print, and they're even reprinted in the same way, but it's an absolute gold mine. And Matthew Poole says, though the hand of God be full of good things, proportioned to all the necessities of his children, yet they must not expect to have them without asking. In an amazing statement by, by God the Father in Ezekiel 36, verse 37, another verse that I marvel at and often bring it up, because in Ezekiel 36, verse 37, God is speaking, and it says, Thus saith the Lord, I will yet for this be inquired of the, of, by the house of Israel. God says, I have not yet been asked by Israel to, to do it for them. Isn't it amazing? The, the, the sense is that God wants and would do something, but Israel just hasn't asked him to do it yet. And in the context, it was God had promised to restore Israel after her captivity and replenish the land and bless them, but they just, we, 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 in our psalm last week, we, we talked about them returning to the land after the Babylonian captivity. The, the sad fact is most many of them didn't want it, didn't want to go back, didn't want to ask God to to lead them back and to rebuild and all that. He said, I've yet been to be asked. My resources are limitless. There's nothing I cannot do. My arm is not shortened and my ear is not heavy. And yet they just have not asked. It sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? It's ridiculous when you and I don't ask either. All that God does, he accomplishes through the power of the third member of the Godhead. The silent, unseen, often overlooked, who can be ignored, grieved, and quenched, vexed, and despited. The third member of the Godhead, the, the Holy Spirit of God. God does nothing on earth or in heaven apart from the Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. When God got ready 
to create man, he declared in Genesis 1 verse 26, let us make man in our image. The, the Holy Spirit, though unseen and silent, never drawing attention to himself, ever, always pointing by his work to the second member of the Godhead, God the Son, but always pointing to him, glorifying, drawing men to the Savior. Yet even our Savior did all of his work on earth through the, the Holy Spirit's power. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18, our Lord said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath appointed me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Those, that preaching, that healing was done in the energy, the might, the power of the Holy Spirit. To preach deliverance to the captives in recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised. That's The Lord said, I do all of that through the Spirit of God that is upon me. The Holy Spirit did come at Pentecost in a marvelous way, a marked way, as a, as a very vivid sign, and indwelt those who repented of their sins and were saved. And the pattern from that point on as James pointed out in the scripture that we read, the Spirit of God dwelleth in us, lusteth within us. The Spirit that dwells in us desires, strongly desires all of us to control us. And the pattern from that time on is that the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, who uses the seed of the Word of God implanted in our hearts to bring about a new birth, He regenerates us, He saves us, and who makes us spiritually alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Literally, the most amazing thing in the Scripture, that the Spirit of God literally indwells our physical bodies, and He is the earnest, the down payment of the glorification that we will one day receive. Ephesians 1 tells us that we should be to the praise of His glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed you were sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, I've already alluded to the verse, teaches that our very physical bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. When you read the Old Testament, the dedication of the, te the, the temple, Solomon's prayer, the glory of God filled that place. The, the very presence of the Lord led the children of Israel out of, of Egypt, out of bondage, protected them, was a cloudy pillar and a fiery pillar, a cloudy pillar by day, a fiery pillar by night, Physically, the Holy Spirit would, the, the Shekinah Spirit of God, which represents the presence of God, would de descend or ascend and move, and they were to go where He led them and uh, came upon the sacrifices and filled the house. And remember that sad, sad day when the Holy Spirit left the temple and the cry was Ichabod, the Spirit of God has left. Just as God promised in the Old Testament that He would never destroy the earth with a flood. And he 
But the seal, the sign of that promise is the rainbow. The Lord has promised the New Testament believer something the Old Testament believer had no assurance of. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. He is very indwelling presence does not move from the temple, these temples, as he did sovereignly in the Old Testament. So what does our Lord mean? We still haven't answered the question in verse 13. So you've once again assured us that we're not to ask for the Holy Spirit in that way as if we don't have him. Because if he indwells us, never to leave us, it is, after all, eternal life, not probationary life, not life for 15 minutes or until you sin. It is eternal life. He preserves his saints so that they persevere, is the teaching of the Scripture. So this is not to say that we're to pray for the Holy Spirit of God to indwell our bodies. He does that sovereignly at the points point of regeneration in, in faith and repentance in faith again then what does it mean how much more shall the father give the holy spirit to them that ask him what a question we know this so let's go from what we know okay when you have a, a problem or a question about a portion of scripture the method of bible interpretation is never to interpret a verse solely in the light of that one verse, you interpret the verse of Scripture in the light of everything else the Word of God teaches about that very thing. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 tells us. The Holy Spirit, uh, He illumines us and we compare spiritual with spiritual or Scripture with Scripture. So that's a very prime and important method of Bible interpretation. So we go from what we know. We know that the Spirit of God indwells true believers. Isn't that what we've just seen verse after verse? The Holy Spirit of God, for a person to be saved, means that the Holy Spirit of God indwells their bodies. He never leaves us or forsakes us. He's given us His Word on that. It is, it is the, he, we're sealed how long? Uh, it's, the, it's the earnest until the, the re- redemption, until the day of redemption, until, until we receive the, our glorified bodies, until the day of redemption. So He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So, we're not to pray that the Holy Spirit would leave us. David prayed that, didn't he? In his psalm of repentance, his prayer of repentance, take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, let me pause and say here that a sinning believer often will not have the sense of the Holy Spirit's presence. Do you know why? A grieving person shows it. A grieving person reacts in different ways. The Holy Spirit is a person, and in his grief, it often seems as if he has left us. He does not give us those sweet assurances that we have when sins are confessed, and we're walking in the light as he is in the light, and we have fellowship one with another and with the Father. It does seem as if he's a million miles away, as if God's back is turned on his his child, but he's gone nowhere. But for our part... It seems that way. He has promised, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. My mother would often tell me when I was acting very ratty, you know, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to look at you. I love you, but I can't handle you right now. You need to go and think about what you've done. And I'm, she would turn away from me. I hated that. 
I absolutely hated when she did that. And that wasn't just a ploy. She was genuinely grieved at my, my behavior. And she said, I'm not talking to you right now. I don't want to see you. And uh, that's the way she dealt with it often. She dealt with it some other ways too, but that was one of her, her ploys that, that she had. And it was a very effective one because I couldn't bear not having everybody talking to me that should be talking to me and my family. He, the third thing we know about the Holy Spirit, not only does he indwell us and he never leaves us nor forsake us, he says he strongly desires. Remember we started out with the verse, he strongly desires to control us in every area. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. He envies anything that we allow to control us, any control that our fallen nature exerts over us, the the Holy Spirit is desirous of that. He is envious to control our thoughts, our words, our deeds. He desires to use us as a vessel. The only way that God works on earth, the only way that he preaches, the only way that he teaches, the only way that... uh, he gets his message out is through humans. Now, he does use his word, but he, he tells us to go and preach and teach and, and show the love of Christ. And, and the Holy Spirit strongly desires that we be effective uh, vessels of honor for the Lord. So he's envious to control our thoughts and our words and our deeds so that he can use us as a, a mouthpiece. You see, sin gives us spiritual lockjaw. We're not really that desire is to talk about the things of the Lord when we're not right with him, even though a co-worker says, what do you think it means in the Bible when they give you this question? And you're not right with the Lord. You really don't want to discuss those things. You're really not prepared to witness. And, and we should always be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. That's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. He desires that we depend on him to work his ministry through us because without him we can do nothing, right? The arm of flesh will fail you. We are not sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves. Our sufficiency is is of what? Of God. And so he strongly desires that we depend on him. And as we go through our work, you you Bible teachers, Sunday school teachers, whoever you are, parents, witnesses, whatever you're doing. Now, Lord, you say, Lord, today I had to make a very difficult visit. Uh, A person who had a a major surgery. And the the husband had asked me to go speak with his wife about her, her, her... relationship with the Lord and and this woman had just been through a devastating surgery that I I couldn't imagine and uh, I'll be honest with you you know those kinds of visits are intimidating you know they're you you want to you want to say the right thing and and uh, and not be Job's friend but to be encouraging and be be led of the Holy Spirit so I, I as I suited up and went into that that room I said Lord you've got to speak to me I don't even know what to say would you open the door for her to even be receptive to the, the, the talking about her soul and the gospel? And the Lord so graciously did. But I was so... Chris Lamb didn't have anything at that point. Do you understand? I didn't have anything, any stuff to give. No cute things to say. What do you say? There's nothing cute you can say. There's no, no winsome way to, to... When a person is just... Their life has absolutely been... Uh, devastated, humanly speaking. You know, there's nothing that I could bring that would change that at all. But it's that way all the time. Even when we think, I've got this one, Lord. We don't. 
We have nothing. And the Holy Spirit is grieved when we think we can do anything without his enablement. And so we say, Lord, help me. Give me the words to say. Help me to, to be sensitive and to be what you'd have me to be. As if you were here ministering to this person. There are two important portions of Scripture that describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I will not turn there to read them tonight, but I'll give you as a homework assignment. John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. Those two chapters are devoted almost primarily in their entirety to how the Holy Spirit does his, what he's supposed to do, why he's been sent. He's been sent to convict of sin, to open heart, to show truth, to lead and guide into truth to bring men to repentance. And the, the Bible very clearly gives us the ministry of the Holy Spirit in those two chapters. We see here that the, the two, and when you read those two portions of the Scriptures, two of the Holy Spirit's ministries are to teach the believer the Word of God. Because these words are, in that portion of Scripture I referred to in 1 Corinthians 2, are spiritually discerned. You can only tell and understand them by the Holy Spirit. You can know facts. You can tell me. I knew a guy. You can mention any part of any verse. He can tell you exactly what chapter of the Bible it was in. He, he was like a, a, a walking concordance. I was not always convinced he knew the spirit of, of the, the word that he could quote. But he could. He could tell you that I had never found him where he couldn't find exactly the verse that I gave him. He could, that's in Ezekiel 2 verse. He could just... Rattle it off like that. It was a not. It was a phenomenal thing. But the Holy Spirit desires to teach the believer the Word of God. This book is alive. It is spiritual. It is the mind of God, and only God can show it to us. Human authors, we don't often have the privilege to talk to them about their works. But the Bible, the, the author of the scripture, we can ask him, would you tell me what you mean here? Would you show me what this means? So two of the ministries of the Holy Spirit are to teach the believer the word of God and give us the ability to understand spiritual things. Lord, is that what this says? Help me to grasp this. Help me to understand this. We're not to ask for the Holy Spirit's indwelling. That happened. You didn't even know that took place. You might have found out about that after you were saved. All you knew is you repented of your sin and the Lord saved you. You later found out all kinds of wonderful things that that entailed. And one of them is that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He indwells your body. You're the resident member. The third member of the Godhead lives in you and goes with you everywhere you go. So how dare you take him to anywhere you wouldn't take Jesus Christ if he was physically with you. We're not to ask for the Holy Spirit's indwelling. He already does this. But there are at least three areas where we are to ask for the Holy Spirit. We're to ask the Father by faith that the Holy Spirit would show us our sin. How much more will the Heavenly Father give us the Holy Spirit to them who ask Him? Holy Spirit of God, would you show to me my sin? He gladly answers that question. Lord, am I right with you? Do I have some regarded sin or something that I'm blinded to myself or something I've not dealt with? Would you show me any and all sin in my life? You fervently pray that with an open copy of God's word. The Holy Spirit of God is glad 
because that's one of his job descriptions, if you will, is to show us our sins. Search me, O God, and know my heart and try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. Sin, as we've mentioned, grieves the Holy Spirit. So I believe this verse means that if we ask the Holy Spirit to show us our sin, he will very happily, gladly do that. Secondly, we're to ask him for the Spirit's help in understanding the Word of God. We're to ask him to show us our sin, anything that would hinder effectiveness, relationship with him. And that's an ongoing thing, isn't it? Because guess what? We sin often. And sometimes we just say, I'm not going to deal with it. I'm not going to think about that. But the Holy Spirit's back there waiting for us to, to deal with this situation. So, Lord, show me that by your Spirit. Secondly, help me to understand the Word of God. We just came to a portion of Scripture where we needed the Spirit's light. Lord, would you give me light? Would you, you should pray that before you ever come to a service or before you ever open the Scripture on your own. Holy Spirit of God, show me and teach me your Word. Luke chapter 12, verse 12, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you. The Bible declares there, he will teach you. That's why he's been given. If there's anything learned spiritually tonight, it will not be because of Chris Lamb. It will be the Holy Spirit sovereignly chose to take the Word of God and to teach it to you by his Spirit. 1 Corinthians 2, 10, I mentioned that. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak, not in words which man's wisdom speaketh, but teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, comparing spiritual with spiritual, Scripture with Scripture. Lord, Help me to understand your word. Thirdly, we're to ask the Holy Spirit to show us our sin, to teach us his word. After all, he wrote it. Remember, it is the spirit of truth. Men of old were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to pen these words, Peter tells us. Thirdly, we're to ask for the Holy Spirit to help us in our infirmities, our weaknesses. All of us have them. There are no strong people. All of us are sinfully flawed. We have chinks in the armor. We have wrinkles in our brain. We have situations, there are proclivities, there are areas in our lives that, that only the Holy Spirit can help us. Infirmities, the scripture tells us. That's what they are, infirmities. The writer of Hebrews tells us to lay aside every sin and then he goes on to say, the sin that does so easily beset us. We're to ask the Holy Spirit to help us in our weaknesses. Prayer is, helps us what to ask. What, understanding what is the will of God. We, sometimes we have weaknesses. Lord, I have a desire to do this, but is it your will? And my, my desire may override your will, so don't let me do that. You know, that's when we begin to pray, fence me and close the door, make me do the right thing because I'm weak in this situation. Don't, when, when the, in that pattern of prayer in the verse, verses, he says, lead us not a temptation. Don't let me get in a situation where sin will overtake me. God is a righteous heavenly father. We live in a fallen world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, 
will be at us. But Lord, help me not to succumb to those things. Deliver me from them. We can rightfully pray that. He's just told us that's how we're to pray. The Holy Spirit is the wisdom of God. There's no wisdom about the things of God apart from the Spirit of God. He's called the wisdom of God. He's never separated from the Word of God. When people want to know God's will, you must get into God's Word. There's no other way to know His will. Ask for a hunger for the Word of God. Your, your very lack of desiring the Word of God, you need to tell the Holy Spirit. You need to tell the Lord, I need your Spirit to, to give me a hunger for the things of God. Because that is what the Spirit wants in our lives. He wants us to be ravenous about the will of God and the Word of God. He works through the Word of God, not apart from it. G.D. Watson in his living words has put this very beautifully. And I think I shared a little bit with you this, this recently. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love. He will rebuke you for little words and feelings or for wasting your time, which other Christians never seem distressed over. So make up your mind that God is an infinite sovereign and has a right to do with you as he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in his dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to his love, be his love slave, he will wrap you up in a jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which come only to those which are in the inner circle. Settle it then forever that you are to deal directly with the Holy Spirit and that he is to have the privilege of tying your tongue of chaining your hand or of closing your eyes in ways that he does not seem to use with others. Now, when you are so possessed with the living God that you are in your secret heart pleased and delighted over this peculiar, personal, private, jealous guardianship and management of the Holy Spirit over your life, you will have found the very vestibule of heaven. If you then being sinful sinners, depraved sinners, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? Does the Holy Spirit want to reveal sin in your life? Yes, you can ask Him. Holy Spirit, show me sin in my life. Does He want you to know the Word of God? rightly divided and to be able to know it and to tell it to others, yes, you can ask him to do that. And that's a request he will ask. These are things only the Holy Spirit can do. Do you need help in your infirmities? Of course you do. You can't deal with your weakness or your infirmities in the strength of your flesh. How long does that last? How effective is that? Even the great apostle said, that thorn in the flesh that he had, he asked the Lord to remove, and he did not. It was an infirmity, wasn't it? But he said, I, my grace is, what, enough. My grace is sufficient. It's more than enough for what you need, for whatever it is you're feeling, doing, going through, or about to go through. My grace is sufficient for thee. Oh, what a thought. Because you see, so many times I think I need that. Or if this would happen. Or if that person would just get lined up right. Or if 
these people would cooperate. You know, all those things that we think, but what I need is God's grace to deal with and live with the situation. How much more shall the Holy Spirit, Father, give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? An amount, no, you have all the Holy Spirit that you'll ever have. Do you need him to fill you and control you? Yes. Do you need him to speak a word, the right word, at the right time, to the right person, at the right moment, and all that? Yes. We need all those things that only the Holy Spirit can do. May the Lord give us grace in this area.